Welcome to this episode of Planting Seeds. I'm Keith Jones, the preaching minister of Calera Church of Christ, and I've prepared a short message from Scripture that's intended to be the planting of a seed that, if cultivated, will in time produce fruit in the lives of the listeners. Now, let's get started. Shine upon you and be gracious and give you peace. In this episode, we'll continue our study of the book of Judges by looking at Judges chapter 19. If you have a Bible with you, turn to Judges 19 and follow along while I read beginning in verse 1. In those days, when there was no king in Israel, a certain Levite was sojourning in the remotest parts of the hill country of Ephraim, who took to himself a concubine from Bethlehem in Judah. And his concubine was unfaithful to him, and she went away from him to her father's house in Bethlehem in Judah, and was there some four months. Then her husband arose and went after her to speak kindly to her and to bring her back. He had with him his servant and a couple of donkeys, and she brought him into her father's house. And when the girl's father saw him, he came with joy to meet him. And his father-in-law, the girl's father, made him stay, and he remained with him three days. So they ate and drank and spent the night there. And on the fourth day they arose early in the morning, and he prepared to go. But the girl's father said to his son-in-law, Strengthen your heart with a morsel of bread, and after that you may go. So the two of them sat and ate and drank together, and the girl's father said to the man, Be pleased to spend the night, and let your heart be merry. And when the man rose up to go, his father-in-law pressed him, till he spent the night there again. And on the fifth day he arose early in the morning to depart. And the girl's father said, Strengthen your heart, and wait until the day declines. So they ate, both of them. And when the man and his concubine and his servant rose up to depart, his father-in-law, the girl's father, said to him, Behold, now the day is waned toward evening. Please spend the night. Behold, the day draws to its close. Lodge here and let your heart be merry, and tomorrow you shall arise early in the morning for your journey and go home. But the man would not spend the night. He rose up and departed and arrived opposite Jebus, that is, Jerusalem, He had with him a couple of saddled donkeys and his concubine with him. When they were near Jebus, the day was nearly over, and the servant said to his master, Come now, let us turn aside to this city of the Jebusites and spend the night in it. And his master said to him, We will not turn aside into the city of foreigners who do not belong to the people of Israel, but we will pass on to Gebeah. And he said to his young man, Come and let us draw near to one of these places and spend the night at Gebeah or at Ramah. So they passed on and went their way. And the sun went down on them near Gebeah, which belongs to Benjamin. And they turned aside there to go in and spend the night at Gebeah. And he went in and sat down in the open square of the city, for no one took them into his house to spend the night. And behold, an old man was coming from his work in the field at evening. The man was from the hill country of Ephraim, and he was sojourning in Gebeah. The men of the place were Benjaminites. And he lifted up his eyes and saw the traveler in the open square of the city. And the old man said, Where are you going, and where have you come from? And he said to him, We are passing from Bethlehem and Judah to the remote parts of the hill country of Ephraim, from which I come. I went to Bethlehem and Judah, and now I am going to the house of the Lord. But no one has taken me into his house." 
We have straw and feed for our donkeys with bread and wine for me and your female servant and the young man with your servants. There is no lack of anything. And the old man said, peace be to you. I will care for all your wants. Only do not spend the night in the square. So he brought him into his house and gave the donkeys feed and they washed their feet and ate and drank. As they were making their hearts merry, behold, the men of the city, worthless fellows, surrounded the house, beating on the door. And they said to the old man, the master of the house, bring out the man who came into your house that we may know him. And the man, the master of the house, went out to them and said, No, my brother, do not act so wickedly since this man has come into my house. Do not do this vile thing. Behold, here are my virgin daughter and his concubine. Let me bring them out now. Violate them and do to them what seems good to you. But against this man, do not do this outrageous thing. But the men would not listen to him. So the man seized his concubine and made her go out to them. And they knew her and abused her all night until the morning. And as the dawn began to break, they let her go. And as morning appeared, the woman came and fell down at the door of the man's house where her master was until it was light. And her master rose up in the morning, and when he opened the doors of the house and went out to go on his way, behold, there was his concubine laying at the door of the house with her hands on the threshold. He said to her, Get up, let's be going. But there was no answer. Then he put her on the donkey, and the man rose up and went away to his home. And when he entered his house, he took a knife, and taking hold of his concubine, he divided her limb by limb into twelve pieces and sent her throughout all the territory of Israel. And all who saw it said, Such a thing has never happened or been seen from the day that the people of Israel came up out of the land of Egypt until this day. Consider it. Take counsel and speak. Wow. (laughs) What did we just read here? This story is so tragic and so graphic and so violent. For some people who have been through traumatic experiences, it may even be triggering for them. It's hard to believe such a disgusting story is in our Bible. We tend to think of the Bible of the place to go and uh, find out about things that are good and pure and wholesome and holy. And here we have a Levite and his concubine being attacked in the city of Gebeah. The Levite, to save his own neck, sacrifices his concubine, throws her out to the men who abuse her all night. And she dies at the doorstep trying to get into the house. The Levite sleeps all night, does not seem to be bothered that his concubine is gone, and seems to assume that she's gone forever as he gets up to go back home. But when he opens the door, he finds her lying there dead. At this point, there seems to be maybe remorse, guilt, disgust, something, but he takes his concubine home and to make a point to the rest of the Israel about how bad things have gotten. He cuts her body into 12 pieces, sends it with a note, it seems, that explains what has happened. And each of the 12 tribes have to deal with this event that has happened within their borders. We're told at the beginning of this chapter that these things happened because there was no king in Israel. 
in our previous episode, we read from 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 1 through 8, where God tells the judge Samuel that it's not because Israel does not have access to a king. It's because they have rejected God as king. That's why these things are going on in Israel. They will not accept that God is their king and they will not follow his commands. And so life in Israel has become violent and tragic. In this particular story, there seem to be three main ways that Israel is rejecting God as king. And when we look at these, we'll see that very often we're guilty of rejecting God in the same ways. First of all, Israel is rejecting God's guidance. This story takes place well after the law of Moses has been established and given to the nation of Israel as their guide for living. The things they should be doing to honor God, to please God, and to be a light to the world. And they've rejected that guidance, and they're kind of doing things their own way. But even in this story, as the details unfold, there are individuals not accepting the guidance that they're hearing from other people about the right way to behave and act. They're determined to do whatever they want to do. As the Levite and the concubine come to the old man's house and they're surrounded by the angry mob, the old man goes out and says, you can't do this. This is a horrible thing to even contemplate. You've got to stop. And they wouldn't listen. They they didn't take the advice that they had been given. There are several passages in the Bible that speak to our need to follow God for our guidance. In Psalm 37, starting in verse 23, Scripture says, The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. And in Psalm 73, starting in verse 23, Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. The psalmist says as long as he's with God, God holds his right hand and guides him with his counsel and then receives him to glory. While this was part of a song in the Old Testament, these same thoughts are echoed throughout the New Testament. As we come to Christ, we have access to his counsel on how to live a godly life and to be received for eternity into the glory of God. Also, Proverbs chapter 3, starting in verse 5, says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. We could go on and on with passages from Scripture that let us know that God is trying to guide us in the best way to live our lives. It's not just that he's telling us what pleases him. He's telling us how to make the most of our earthly existence, how to live a fully human life. After all, he's the one who created us. He would know how to get the most out of his creation. If we follow his guidance, we get to have the best possible experience here on this earth. Israel also seems to be rejecting God's refuge or protection. 
we've read a couple of stories now where people are going from the place that God had assigned them to a different place. They're wandering around in different places. Uh, People aren't living within their inheritance and trusting that God will protect them. They're looking for their own protection. They're looking for refuge of their own making. Whether it's the old man that left the hill country of Ephraim to go to Gebeah, or it's the Levite who had traveled down to Jerusalem to find a concubine, or the same Levite as he's traveling back home trying to decide between stopping in the city of the Jebusites or going on to Gebeah, he's making these decisions about his refuge and protection on his own. He even rejects the advice or the help offered by his father-in-law and his servant, who both offered better suggestions than going to Gebeah. If this Levite leaves Bethlehem early enough in the day, he doesn't even have to stop in Gebeah if he had listened to his father-in-law's urging. As the day is winding down, if he listens to his servant and goes to Jerusalem instead of Gebeah, he may have been more safe, but he was looking for refuge and protection on his own terms. Then he finds himself in a city square waiting for somebody to take him in. No one else does except this old man, but the results are still tragic. God calls us to seek him for our refuge and protection. To follow his guidance means that we will be protected. Second Samuel chapter 22 Verses 2 through 4 is David singing a song to God because of the protection that was afforded him. It says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior. You have saved me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. At the end of this song, in verse 31, he says, This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. Do we trust in God for our protection and our refuge? That doesn't mean we ignore anything that's available in the world. Sometimes God is providing those things to help in that protection. But are we seeking them based on what's important to God or what's important to us? Are we trying to create our own protection and save ourselves, or do we trust God to provide that? Very often when we're trying to provide our own protection, it's because we're trying to avoid consequences of our bad choices. Since we didn't rely on God to give us guidance, we did things our own way, we're trying to fix the mess that we made. When that happens, we have to realize that the consequences are ours. We have to deal with them. But if we deal with them in a godly way, God will bring us through those circumstances and work all things together to bring about good, even in our tragic situations. God's promise to his people has always been that he would bring us through our trials because we are more than conquerors. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, Solomon is dedicating the temple, and God says to him, When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, if my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves, and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, 
Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. So many of the tragedies that we see uh, among our people in our society are things that may be easy to blame on those who do not have God in their lives. But what God says is when things are at their worst is when the people of God need to evaluate themselves, make sure that they're turned to God and they're doing exactly what God wants because that creates a better environment. It affects everything else. If the people of God aren't doing what God wants, we can't expect other people to do it either. That's the problem that's happening in Israel at this time. They are not turning to God for their guidance. The people who acknowledge God and call God by his name are still not doing the things he wants them to do, and they're not being the kind of people God wants them to be. And so it's having a snowball effect. They're having issues in every aspect of their life for things to start to get better. The people of God have to repent first. They have to turn to God with all their heart and be the people he wants them to be so that they can have the kind of influence, impact, and be light to the rest of the world that God wants us to be. Paul writes to the Romans in Romans chapter 2, starting in verse 6. He says, He, God, will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. We have to realize that when we make bad choices, when we make sinful choices, there are consequences to those. God will bring us through them if we rely on him. But when we continue to do evil, when we continue to do bad things, when we continue to be selfish, God says there are consequences to that. We'll have to deal with those consequences. If we want life to work out the best, if we want to minimize the negative consequences and have positive effect in our life, it will come when we practice righteousness and we follow his word and his will. The thing we need to remember here is that Israel didn't just wake up one day as a nation and say, you know what, we're going to do the opposite of what God wants. And this was a series of bad choices that took them further and further away from God. The more selfish they became, the more self-indulgent they became, the further away they ended up from where God wanted them to be physically and spiritually. It's very important that we have control of our own thought life, that when we have decisions to make, small ones and large ones, that we're doing them consistently with God's will so that as those compound over time, we don't find ourselves in devastating situations like the one that this Levite finds himself in, but we find ourselves in the protection of God. So before we make a choice, that could lead to us sinning and and compounding maybe previous bad choices. Uh, What should we do? And I think the 
answer is in that last line of the chapter. When the different tribes of Israel saw the results of this outrageous act, they said, consider it, take counsel, and speak. When we have choices to make, we should take the time to think through them, to consider them. Very often, we make a knee-jerk reaction when presented with a choice. Worry about the consequences later. Try to manipulate the consequences. Try to avoid the consequences. But things work out better when we take a minute to think about them. The more we allow God to shape our thinking and the way that we process decisions, we'll be able to come up with the right godly decision more quickly. But we need to consider, what does God want? Lamentations chapter 3, verse 40 says, Let us test and examine our ways. And return to the Lord. Psalm 119 verse 59 says, When I think of my own ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. When we have choices to make, we should consider them carefully. We should also be willing to take counsel. Proverbs chapter 12 verse 15 says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Very often, we're eager to prove to someone else or to another group of people or maybe even the whole world that we've got this. We can handle it. We are smart enough to deal with this. The problem is we're going through a life that we've never experienced before. We're seeing things that we've never been through before, and we need help to navigate those things in ways that are healthy and productive and godly. We should be willing to take counsel from trusted people who uh, are godly and give godly advice, from God himself, from our ministers and churches that are true servants of God, but we have to be willing to take advice. And then the text says, speak, or literally give your word. Make a promise or an oath, a vow to, to act on what you've decided. Here in this case, as they look at this tragedy, Israel, what are we going to do? We've got this problem in Israel where we are so far away from where God wants us to be that we're abusing women to death, then cutting up their bodies and putting them in the mail and sending them around Israel. Something's got to be done. Let's consider it. Let's take advice and counsel. Let's make sure we're doing the right thing. But then let's speak up and act on it. Let's not let this moment pass. There are other moments in Scripture when similar challenges are put to God's people. In Joshua chapter 24, verse 15, he says to the people of Israel, If it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. He gave his word. He followed that. And he put that challenge out to others. In Nehemiah chapter 1, starting in verse 5, it says, And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night, For the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. 
remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power in your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Nehemiah is going to ask the king if it's okay for him to go back and rebuild a wall around Jerusalem. But he knows that if he's going to have any success at all, that he needs God with him. And so he goes to God and he prays and asks forgiveness for the sins of Israel and himself repents and promises God, gives him his word that he will follow the commands of Moses and then ask for success in going to the king. God certainly grants that to him because of this covenant or vow that he makes before God as he repents. When we make our choices, are we willing to stop for a moment and think about it and whether or not it's a godly choice? If we're unsure, are we willing to take advice from others? And once we know the right thing to do, are we willing to give our word to do it? Thank you for listening. You can find more of these messages on our website, calirachurchofchrist.org, or subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Twitter.